Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, any time. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity, and please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So this week is International Holocaust Memorial Day, and it's very hard to have this milestone commemorated and not share something relating to the Holocaust. So we've done something that's, I believe, very personal and give you, a, a, a as we say, a window to look through, Some something that you're probably going to learn about the Holocaust and being, in this case, a survivor, because we really don't have testimonies of too many victims. And what we've done this week is pre-recorded a webinar that was that included participants from five different continents with a Holocaust survivor here in Israel sharing his story. And, and I think that you're going to find this very, very compelling. You're going to want to listen carefully. The, the audio is low. But the message is powerful and so terribly important. And you're going to hear why through an innovative program here in Israel that's going international, why it is so important that we remember the Holocaust. Why are we having this conversation today? Why are we remembering the Holocaust and why is it important to remember the Holocaust? So again, with wonderful participation from all around the world, and I especially credit those who are awake in North America and South America at very, very early hours to join us. Um, I'm excited to have you all here. We will take questions in during in, in the Q&A format. And it's important for us this week as the world, you may hear something in your in your local media, but the world is recognizing the Holocaust, remembering the Holocaust. This is the week of the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. So that became the day of the uh, annual commemoration of International Holocaust Memorial Day. But the truth of the matter is, and we'll we'll hear from our guests today, remembering the Holocaust is not something that only should be done once uh, once a year, or as we do here in Israel, twice a year with, with Yom HaShoah, which is our national Holocaust Memorial Day. It's something that we're involved with at the Genesis 123 Foundation, and where we also, from the proceeds of monies that we are able to raise, we are really privileged to be able to support Holocaust survivors and other programs that commemorate, that help uh, perpetuate the, the memory that we need to. And why is that? I think most of our guests joining today are not Jewish, but for most Jews, the Holocaust is and remains very personal. One third of the Jewish people were killed in the in the Holocaust between the 1930s and 1945. Uh, it's still something in our population today that we have not caught up to. We were 18 million Jews in the world before the Holocaust, and we're not quite there uh, back at 18 million 
yet again, we're somewhere in the range of 15, 16 million. So we see that impact and we see all the, the potential that was lost along with the 6 million lives. Um, this September, you, you see a picture behind me of a village in Poland. This is the village that my grandmother came from. And this past September, we hosted a webinar, which I will share with you the link to if you're interested, a webinar on the anniversary of the murder of my great grandparents and their other survive, their other children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews, um, all in this town in, in uh, southern Poland. Um, it's very personal to us still today. But around the world, it's not something that many of you are in touch with survivors or necessarily have uh, the opportunity to learn about Holocaust, the Holocaust as intimately as we do. So I'm very, very excited and grateful today to bring to, to introduce one guest who, who I'll speak with for a moment, and then she'll introduce, if you will, our main guest. Um, Sharon Buenos is the global director of an organization called Zikaron Basalon. I'm saying it deliberately with uh, American accents, so uh, you won't, uh, so when you're looking it up and we will provide contact information here, when you're looking it up, you can follow my accent in English. As the third generation of Holocaust survivors, Sharon understands the importance of Holocaust education and works tirelessly here in Israel to ensure the testimonies of survivors will pass from generation to generation and never be forgotten. She has two decades of experience in the public sector here in Israel, including working in Israel's defense ministry, ministry of foreign affairs, as well as marketing director for the OR movement, which is an NGO developing the Negev and the Galilee, very central biblical areas. Sharon, it's a, we, we met just a few months ago at a really important event here in Jerusalem. I'm getting emotional thinking about it, really, because everything that, that this program comes to, um, we met at a, at a program of the combat anti-Semitism movement. Certainly you're involved, you're central with that. If only, and I don't say it in any, in any disparaging way, if only just through remembering. Can you share a little bit about yourself and how did you get into this being the global director of this important organization? Thank you, Jonathan. And if, hi, everyone. Shalom from Tel Aviv. It's uh, great to be here and, and thank you for joining us. Zikaron Basalon uh, translates to living room remembrance. And the idea behind Zikaron Basalon is that we want to bring Holocaust commemoration into our homes, into our, our hearts. It's, um, we feel that the responsibility for the testimonies, the responsibility for remembrance is on each and every one of us, Jewish or not. And in this way, we are able to connect between Holocaust survivors and the younger generation in an intimate setting. The idea that we not only leave the, the commemoration to the museums, to historians, to educators, but we all take part and remember a person, a narrative, a family that, that has been through uh, the, the hor- horrible times of, of the Holocaust. I am a third generation. Uh, my, from my mom's side, my, my, my mother's side, both my grandmother and my grandfather uh, survived the Holocaust. But unfortunately, I didn't learn much about our own family history. Uh, now, when I'm really interested, it's too late. My um, 
my uh, grandfather passed away years ago and my my grandfather my grandmother unfortunately does not remember much so i look at zikaron basalon as part of my tikkun i look at zikaron basalon as part of my uh, of me repairing my own personal history I need, I'm holding now the testimonies of Avram, which we'll hear from him very shortly, and many other survivors that I, I met through my uh, time at Zikaron Basalon. And I feel obligated to make sure that the, the weight of remembrance does not only stay on the survivors' shoulders, but it's shifted to us descendants, but also people of the world. And when we talk about when we talk about combating anti-Semitism, I feel I have I have this argument with the educators when they say to me, not every anti-Semitic event need to be need to be answered with the story from the Holocaust. And I say, actually, the Holocaust is the biggest price humanity ever paid for this awful disease called anti-Semitism. So I'm not, we're not trying to lecture or to teach everything about the Holocaust. What we're trying to do at Zikaron Basalon is we're trying to introduce one narrative, one person, and connect from that level. And when you have that personal connection, when you have this level of engagement, then you can start understanding things better. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs, and living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, Things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor, and please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured, and there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Beautiful. Thank you. Shalom, would you, because you you do this professionally, you do this on a day-to-day basis, would you be good enough to introduce our guest 
and maybe we'll get to hear from him. Thank you. Well, I, I our guest is one of our superstars at Zikaron Basalon. In fact, we came back from Prague uh, just a few weeks ago where we we joined forces uh, together to introduce Zikaron Basalon um, to 48 countries uh, during the Terezin uh, conference. Um, Avram Roth is, I, I, I almost don't want to give anything away when I introduce you, but uh, first and foremost, he's my friend, uh, my dear friend, um, Holocaust survivor from Holland, from the Netherlands. You can't tell by the look of him, but Avram is 94 years old, a very young 94-year-old man. And it gives me such pleasure, Avram, to introduce you and ask you to share a little bit of what happened to you during the war, but also what you've done with your life afterwards. Because I think to us, this is probably the biggest lesson that we can learn of how survivors survived the worst conditions, and yet they managed to come out on the other end, building lives and, and, and communities and giving back to the, giving to community, giving to society so much. So Avram, Todaraba that you're joining us. Toda, thank you. So, <clears throat> I understand that uh, I don't see Yonatan in the moment, so I think I will start to talk. Uh, uh, <clears throat> but they will see you in the moment and not me, but uh, that will be okay. So, uh, first of all, I always start my um, my life story with one thing. There is nothing comparable that to uh, <clears throat> that one state, and it's the German state, the German government decides to destroy other people and other people, and not only to destroy the people, but also to destroy their properties, their culture, their religion, everything, just to destroy uh, the whole being. That is (coughs) what uh, brings me today to talk with you and to tell you my story, because we should never forget that this is the basic story. Now, I was born in Holland, as you said, in 1928, so that's quite a long time ago. I was born in a family who was uh, uh, Orthodox, and uh, 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 Orthodox, a typical Dutch liberal Orthodox, we called it, that my parents, they kept to every religious law and religion always uh, to everything in-house. Outside, we were just like any other child in Holland. Uh, we, uh, <coughs> we were at home with six, six children and one adopted third child, which was sent to us from Poland, where they believed that he would be safe in Holland and that uh, and in that way he would save his life. Uh, so... Uh, what happened actually that my parents wanted us to be a part of the uh, Holland, a part of the Dutch people, as long as we live in Holland, because they were Zionists. But in that time, a good Zionist, we say as a joke, that a good Zionist was sending other Jews to, to Palestine and stayed in Holland. So my parents wanted us to be a part of Holland, and I went 
person into a public school, and in this public school, uh, there <coughs> there was about sixty uh, percent, and there were about non-Jews uh, children, twenty percent were Jews from Holland, and another 10% were children from German parents uh, who came who fled to Holland. I believe in Holland they would be safe during that time. Now, the life in Holland, I have never felt any anti-Semitism in Holland before the war, and we just used to live like any other Dutch kid in Holland, very free and <coughs> very free and both with within the Jewish community and outside the Jewish community. When the war started, because I limited the time, I will just try to, uh, to, to say certainly when the war started, in the beginning, Nazi changed because the Germans uh, saw that they could uh, overcome Holland and that the Dutch people would be a part of the German right. And in this, and, and in this way, they would convince the Dutch people that they to be Nazis. And in the war, already before the war, before starting the war, about 10% of the Dutch population was Nazi or members of the Nazi party. And it's one of the reasons that Holland collapsed in the, in the Second World War when the Germans invaded Holland. They went very quickly in four or five days. They took over whole Holland, also because of the many traitors of the Nazis who were living in Holland. So the first year of the war, the Nazis tried to convince the Dutch people that they were to be good Germans, to be good Nazis. And therefore, they also treated the Jews. They started to fire youth from, uh, from public jobs, but it was very low-key. After one year, when they saw that, that they couldn't convince the Dutch people to, uh, to admire their actions and to admire the German right, it became much, uh, they, they became much more, uh, 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 they started much more to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, they started to uh, to, uh, to take anti-Jewish to take anti-Jewish uh, measures. They started and they, they started first of all by firing, as I said, already by the workers first from the government, then from the banks, then from the, the other places. Then they uh, decided to they took our bicycles. They took our radio, they were not allowed to go into shops. And then shortly after this, we got to wheel this yellow star, which, which made us separate from the uh, 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 Dutch people. We personally, as children, um, we never minded to have the yellow star because it says Jude uh, or Yom. And that uh, a Jew at that time, and we were proud Jews. We were proud to be Jews. We were not afraid to be Jews. We had a Jewish education. And when we went on the street or everywhere, we never felt anything uh, about the, uh, the Jewish stuff. And, and also, I must say that all the years that 
against still around all the one and a half year that they still will go around from our home in England City. Nobody ever said anything about against me against Jews or about the Zealous Star or something like this. Uh, to come back to it in um, the my um, grandfather was head of the Jewish community the Jewish Orthodox community in Bala, lived in a very big house on the, what they call the Herakrak, one of the kennels of Bala. And uh, that's the reason that and they moved from our home to my grandfather's home, which was a very big house, and we were my parents and six children, and, they, and seven children, and they didn't want to leave my grandfather alone. After um, a short time, uh, and um, a short time we were moved or uh, we were moved by the uh, by the authorities or the German authorities but also the Dutch authorities to a Jewish ghetto in the east of Amsterdam. Now if I talk about Holland, uh, one of the reasons in Holland about eighty five percent 105,000 Jews out of the 120 Jews who lived in Holland were, were, were not in Auschwitz, Sobibor, Birkenau, all this place, Dachau, Bergenbaus, all this place. Now, when um, the reason uh, we lived for two, three years, and as you know, there was an organization, a small organization, of, um, of Dutch people who uh, arranged for Jews to hide. And this were, uh, so we, my parents had the connections and we were uh, supposed, we were proposed to hide. However, my two sisters of 16 and 18 years did not want to go uh, out to a family they don't know and to, uh, to places where they, they couldn't uh, be themselves. And as you know, from the history, there were quite a few cases, which we could, uh, today could be too, also in this respect. So we, by one night, when we were in the ghetto of East Amsterdam, the, uh, the Dutch police and the Nazis came to our house. They took my we had two small flats, one near another, because we were a big family and the flats were very small. So in one flat was my grandfather and my two sisters, and in one flat were we. Our adopted self was already called before, and we were at the Mauthausen, where my two sisters and my father were taken by the Dutch brothers. There also was one German. Officer, but it was the Dutch police who were taken by the Dutch members and the Dutch railways to a concentration camp, which is called Westerbork in Rome, and from there they were sent to Auschwitz. My younger sister, who had was still living when Auschwitz was free, but she was very weak, and she got. Uh, and died two months after Auschwitz was free and uh, was free. One of the typical, uh, typical Dutch uh, uh, behavior is the one of the Dutch Red Cross. The Dutch Red Cross never did 
and he said about the Jews, it was the task. They didn't care about the Jews, they didn't do anything. And I was uh, two weeks ago at the uh, meeting of uh, by the Danish embassy about the Jews in Denmark, and they told that the Danish Red Cross, they, they, they did everything to take care of the Jews who were sent to the raising stuff, and because of that reason, they saved their lives. The Dutch Red Cross never did anything, and by the way, Sister, we lived two months after the we after Auschwitz uh, uh, was uh, free. Then nobody of Holland ever were interested in their faith. They didn't send anybody to Auschwitz to see what's going on. And, the, and the, those few Dutch survivors who were still living in Auschwitz had to take care of their own transport and their own way to get back to Holland. And this is one of the basic things why in Holland so many Jews were killed. The, the Queen, which the government fled on the third day, and three days after the war started, they fled to England. And, and the Queen, who was the head of the state, told the, the, the directors of the various departments, the general managers of the Dutch government, to cooperate with the Germans so as to save the Dutch economy. And this has caused that the Dutch government in, during the Nazi period and also the Dutch cities, they cooperated with the Germans and, and, and they gave them all the information they needed, where Jews were living, what they are doing, and so forth. So this story, and then as some very, and I will not go too much in it, but as some very bad story. Now, you know that in Holland, the right, right of the rightness of the nations, people who kept Jews like myself under, uh, in hiding, and they saved these Jews. Uh, but it was a very small minority, the Dutch government and the Dutch establishment. All the time tried in the beginning after the war, even long after the war, to tell that Holland was a good country and they were cooperative and they, and, and they did nothing to, uh, and they did everything and, and not to assist the Nazis. Now it's becoming more and more clear that this is a complete false uh, story. The Dutch cooperated with the Germans, the Dutch establishment, the Dutch cities, the Dutch natives. They were completely cooperated with the uh, with the destroyer and the sending away of the Jews. That's hilarious. But I want to come to two stories which maybe gives this one thing. So when children, when people went into hiding, there were many problems. And one of the problems that some of these people who did hide these children, they were paid for it. And when there was no payment, they just put the children on the street. Uh, there were also cases when the Dutch police were trying to find the Jews. They had, every city had a special unit of the Dutch police to look for Jews who were in hiding and to catch them. In this way, uh, they got in the period where about 600 children from two, three months old till six or eight years were sent to a, to a local concentration camp, which is called Fruch, 
not far from Amsterdam. In that camp, there were many non-Jews, but there was also a special Jewish section. And they, the circle, they took care of the Jews, took care of the children, and tried to, as far as they could, to, to, to help them. At a certain moment, the, the German commandant decided that there should be no children in this camp. And then the Dutch police came at six o'clock in the morning. And they, they took the kids, they, they, they make up the kids, they took them, and, and they took their clothes, and at eight o'clock, they, went, they took the kids by the truck uh, to the uh, uh, central station, which is called their bus, and there they put them in trains. And, and, and so, so this, then at 10 o'clock, the train started to move. And then the, the Dutch railways authority said that the, this train should not interfere with the normal train schedule in Holland. And they put them every time on the side. So they certainly came from, you must remember, to six or eight years old from babies. They came at 10 o'clock at the concentration camp, which is called Westerboy, which is normally about one and a half hour train time. And, and, and then they will come. Now we have this complete story what happened in this concentration camp and how they arrived by a Dutch journalist, who, Philip Mechanicus, who was also murdered later. But he wrote a book and it's a very, and he wrote this whole story. Now the next day in the same camp, there were 800 mothers with another 600 children and without husbands, anybody. And as there may be no, uh, no, uh, with not allowed children, these mothers and, and six hundred children were also sent to Westerberg. And the day after, from Westerberg, my Dutch race, by the way, to, uh, to Auschwitz. None of these, none of the children, none of the mothers ever returned. So, what, what they say, by the way, in the camp of Thurgood was a concentration camp. 50% of the, um, the watchmen of the people who, uh, who were responsible for were Dutch Nazis and 50% were Ukrainian Nazis, all of them volunteers. So um, this is just uh, one of the stories. The second story, but I don't know if I have time to tell you this, but the second story, there was a psychiatric institution in the east of Holland with about four or five hundred people who were treated there, with about uh, 100, uh, uh, 100 um, helpers, doctors, nurses, and so on. And in a certain moment, the, the Dutch, again, the Dutch police, together with the Germans, came and they took everybody from this uh, uh, hospital. They told some of the staff, most of the stuff that they could go out and free because they were only wanted to take out the patients themselves. And at that time, so they didn't want yet to take the doctors and nurses. However, they all volunteered to go with the patients. And again, <coughs> they went to Westerberg to the same place and from there to Auschwitz. Again, by Dutch trains. And they were, and one of them also came back, including a cousin of mine who was a brother there. 
and this is another uh, very another uh, nice story another good story. Now the next thing is there was in when we lived in the house we live on the rock on the canal and it's the canal is something which might be many of you know from this book from Anne Frank and uh, the the were right on the other river just right side of the ghetto the ghetto was just on the other side of the canal and near that canal was a very big house with Dutch uh, orphans children Dutch Jewish orphans also there and that I saw myself, I was standing on the bridge, and then came the Dutch, the Amsterdam police, and emptied his whole house. They had, they, they brought them with uh, police trucks to the police station in Amsterdam. They, at the same time, they brought the Dutch moving company to clean the whole house, everything what was there, and from the children, from the 174 children and three caretakers, they were all sent to uh, to Sobibor, and none of them came back. Today, uh, the, 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 the Dutch city decided to destroy this house, which was a beautiful house in the old city in the Jewish quarter of Amsterdam, and we built a city hall. <coughs> And the opera, the national opera for Holland, and next to it they put some stones on the uh, on the street to remind this uh, to remind the people uh, what happened there. But you don't see it, you don't know it, and this is one of the things we, we know about uh, Holland. Now the last thing I want to tell you, look, and you have most of you might have read the book of Anna Frank. Now, I went, we were together to a school. I went, she was more to the, uh, one school that they called Museum. And I was, went to more mathematical school, which was called ABS. We were in the same place, in the same, uh, uh, and, uh, and so I must say that um, I do not remember meeting Anna Frank at all, which is rather strange because she lived not far from us on the kennel on the second kennel. But anyhow, what happened during this school time, it was during the war, we were forced to go to a Jewish school. <coughs> this school, sorry, this school was in a narrow place in uh, Holland, and where she learned and we learned, and, but it was not much of a school, but we were there about one year one and a half year, and every time the next day we would go, we wouldn't know what teacher would be still there, what student would be still there. We didn't know if they were taken by the Germans or if they went into hiding. And uh, But uh, in the next street, not far from it, was a fire, fire brigade, and because the Germans, and it was a small street, they had to to warn the fire brigade that they are going to make razzias in, in this area, and so they would be prepared if there would be any fire. And then one of these firemen, only one, would come to the school and tell them, look, we have, we have put message that there is a razzia, and then we had to run home, all of us. So sometimes in the middle of the school, let's say, 
10, 11 o'clock, they suddenly will end out. And this also happened to Anna Frank, which we were nearly the same home because we were afraid the Nazis would come and take all of us out of the school. And you want me to go on or? No, no. Let th- First of all, Avram, thank you so much for sharing. Um, for people who are unfamiliar with many of the details or personal narratives, you've given a tremendous overview. And as I'm hearing you speak, I'm, I'm thinking that you represent an individual survivor, part of a family, in a relatively small uh, community in Europe, 120,000, I think you said, was the number. But when we multiply that times, uh, someone may be here who can do the math better, but just if you take the 120,000 Jews of of, of uh, Holland and divide it into the 6 million, you get a sense of how many communities were completely destroyed. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs, and living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Uh, I I have a number of questions, and since we're doing a live video, um, I welcome people from around the world to put their questions in the Q&A. But when you look at the numbers, anyway, the numbers are are, um, astounding. But specifically in Holland, you were one of 15,000 survivors. How, how, How do you attribute that? I tell you the, the situation in Holland, the figures are uh, from about about twenty four or twenty three thousand Jews tried to hide with non Jews in the during the war. 
and but actually only uh, uh, were able to get it out uh, about uh, about eleven thousand, ten thousand, not more. Sixty thousand were caught by the Dutch police, by the German police. The way I told you about the children, and so and they were uh, murdered in Auschwitz and in Sobibor. About five thousand Jews came back from the camps, Dutch Jews, partly from very small few people from Auschwitz and from Bergen-Belsen, more people from Theresienstadt. But if you take of the situation of the Jews after the war, and that we should remember, is was um, uh, almost impossible. Now, we as and, and, I, and let me say two things. One. When I when I came out of the war, I decided I do not want to live more in this, uh, in Holland. Holland, the Dutch state, the Dutch government, I was a good uh, Dutch citizen. They never protected me. They never did anything to help me. They never did anything for my family. They let two of my sisters killed. So I immediately went to uh, to some uh, uh, pioneer farm which was formed directly after the war. And after five months, I left in 1946 for Israel. And I was very lucky. I went still uh, one year to an agriculture school, which meant I didn't learn much agriculture, but I learned uh, to speak Hebrew uh, very good. And by the way, I was in a class with about 40 children. And they are, uh, we were only one from Belgium and one from Holland, and all the other came from East Europe. And they were told never to talk about the Shoah. We came to a new country, we came to a new, <laughs> a new state, and we should become uh, strong and healthy and not talk about the, the Shoah. Later, about 15, 10 years ago, when they went to an, uh, an uh, class. Uh, I said, when we came together as a old classmates, then suddenly I heard the stories from his, his children, which I knew very well. And some came with a book. I have read the book. You wow. can imagine what he went through as a child in Poland and all these type of things. Now, the same thing were two things. And when they never spoke, and that's my greatest thing today about my life, and that's a part where I'm so ready to participate in this uh, um, uh, memory in the Salon, is that we never spoke with our parents about the Holocaust. We never spoke with my aunt and uncle. We, we were in Theresienstadt and we lost two babies during this day. And, and, and that is one of the things so I really am missing a part. I'm, I'm reading, I'm trying to know, but I miss a part of the personal family history. And you must understand that my parents and my three brothers, they all were hiding and they came out of the war. But we never talked about the war. Now, before you, <laughs> the interesting thing is that when I married my wife, my wife came from around in Romania. During the war, he lost her brother, and we never spoke about the Shoah with our children because we didn't want our children to be a part of the trauma. It's, you know, all of us have a trauma, so we didn't want to have a part. We never talked to them. Now, since a couple of years ago, when I started with 
Unable to tell your stories, people didn't want to hear, and for different reasons. Was that? But you you mentioned yourself that you made a conscious decision not to share your stories with your children, so that you wouldn't traumatize them. But we know today that there's a phenomena called a second generation survivor that people that your children, uh, your the, your children's generation, my generation. Are are nevertheless traumatized. First of all, was it was it not a trauma in your own right not to share with you, not to be able to to speak about it? And and how have you seen your children, whether growing up or now as a, in adulthood, um, be, being part of that second generation? I have uh, two remarks. One mark I want to say, um, I think it was a mistake. I think we were taught that we sort ourselves, and believe it's a mistake. So now I'm doing everything, and most of my uh, other survivors I know, as far not all of them, you know, are able to talk, and not all of them, and most of them are not alive anymore. But they try to, to bring over our story and the history of the Shah as much as possible and as wide as possible. So uh, today my children know and they, they know more, my grandchildren for sure. I want to tell you one other thing which might be important because um, I am um, I'm also involved in negotiations about the uh, type of negotiations which has to do is uh, to get justice for the people who, who left uh, property and who left uh, paintings uh, and so on and didn't get them back. And uh, not for my own, because I do not, I have never received a penny from the Dutch government, nor have any any time put any claim. But as you know, they stole, uh, the Germans stole thousands of paintings and thousands of properties from the Jews. Part of it was sent back to Holland, and then Holland, who would like to have it, was there out. So I'm also 
active uh, in this field. And I want to tell you that this is still one of the, uh, not all the justice has been done, and it's still a big problem. There is also still a big problem with uh, the Holocaust survivors, although here in Israel, they have more or less, they are taken care of. There is not more such a thing as hungry or Thing, but there are still many in the difficult situation who, who live under difficult conditions. And all this, as long as these survivors live, we try to, to help them and to assist them. And I must say that that doesn't mean always the answer from the right people. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with the Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, And inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. Thank you for sharing the offer. What today still causes you trauma? Thank you, Pam. What today still causes you trauma? What what's what's the most difficult part of what you've been through, or or that you know happened? I don't. I, I what even the difficult? What difficulty do you mean? I'm not sure I understood your question. I'm sorry. Maybe you can phrase it a little bit otherwise. There are a lot of difficulties. So what what what's the what are the things that most cause you, whether it's stress or to lose sleep, nightmares? What 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 do you oh, carry okay. with you all these no, years? I, I, I want to be frank. I have known I, I sometimes I dream about the past, even at these days. But they have no nightmares or something like that. Um, and it's uh, what, um, uh, well, there, are many, um, there are many things which um, I'm trying to find 
justice, and the justice is not being done, not to the Holocaust survivors, not to the second generation, not to the third generation. I also have in this respect some good feeling. When I today, uh, when I deal with, take for example, with the government today, and then mostly of these clerks and also Germany, they are the third generation. And then we come to, they generally know much more knowledge there about the Shoah, they have much more feeling as Shoah because the first generation you know, killed us. The second generation that were their children and they, they, that were their parents who did all these uh, uh, terrible things. Uh, uh, the third generation, it's had their grandparents, they have less feeling of guilt, less feeling of them, but much more empathy and much more, uh, and feel much more um, how would they say, uh, much more uh, sympathy, you know, than, than, than what happened. They, 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 they try to understand, they don't know. Even if I talk with children from, uh, with these people from Germany, in Switzerland now, in, in, uh, in Holland, you get always um, uh, uh, the feeling that they know more, and as I hope it's a part, uh, that uh, will never happen again. I want to tell you, just to summarize my thing, the reason I agree to cooperate or to, 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 to cooperate or to speak with you and with other people here in Israel and in abroad is that we always try to tell everybody just remember and do not forget because <laughs> my sister asked and what everybody asked in Auschwitz, don't forget us. And that is the main point of which I, that's the reason, main reason I come to speak with you because I want really to, to convince everybody not to forget and let it never happen again. Avram, thank you. You know that I think, I, first of all, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful for you sharing um, it's not, it's not just a story. It's, it's, uh, you, you were part of a, um, a national tragedy of the Jewish people that we still, uh, suffer today and, and, and seeking justice for, in all capacities is something that's very, um, important and noble that you're doing. And I'm glad you also just said of your own accord that we want to be sure that people don't forget because one of the questions, what's so beautiful is I'm, as we're doing this as a live video, I have the privilege of seeing who's joining and where they're from. I see Argentina, Tanzania, Pakistan, which always warms my heart. It's not a country with which we have diplomatic relations. Um, Korea, the, the North, uh, North America. Um, someone was just on from Kenya and, and everyone's Christian. Uh, that, that this is you're you're sharing an opportunity with people around the world who don't normally hear this, and there are many books that people can read. I'm in the middle of reading a beautiful. It happens to be a beautiful Holocaust memoir called "Creating Beauty from the Abyss," and they're not that we can't have too many of them. So I'm just so grateful for you. May I just say one word? Of course. As I said, there is a very small minority of Dutch people who helped the Jews and put them in hiding and so on. They were, they, they, mainly of them were Christians 
and um, my two brothers, we were saved. They were saved by rather poor families, very Christian in, in the east of Holland. One was a gardener, the other one had a small bakery, a village bakery, and uh, both of them were, were really um, very much uh, 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 believing in, in Christians, and uh, that's, uh, that's one of the the, the, the things we should know. I myself was saved by a, a Catholic farmer, very poor. Immediately after the war, they left Holland because they were poor and they wanted to find other opportunities. And the pastor, the Catholic pastor in that village, told them you must have a Jew. They gave wow. them strict instructions and not to bring us to the church. And he gave them very strict instructions and he saved quite a few, he saved 300 Jewish children in one village. But this you must not forget that, and also uh, about uh, 250 families who were Jews, they were sent by, by, by the Germans to concentration camps in Germany and didn't return. This, this is also a story. So, as always, they say in uh, in Israel, that if you have saved one life, you have saved the world. So do not forget that these five or six thousand uh, uh, families who took Jews in their home, they they endangered their own life, and they and they tried and they did the same thing so right. Yeah. And, and this is also a part of the whole story. But the story of the Holocaust is so. Complicated and it's so thick because when you have to deal with people, you know, when you have to deal like with some used to say, like with the Satan, you have the very the thing, but there are some light stories, some story of people who are really uh, uh, did that almost. It's it's a lot of one story, and you know, it's yes, you know, and, and talk about all of it. it's not a one side story. But I can go on and on tell you for hours because this is not the minute. Well, I, 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 we're not going to go on for hours and hours, but I'm going to say uh, one thing is that everyone who's following here will make the, make sure that they can connect with Sharon and and invite you to speak to their church and their community wherever it, wherever they may be in the world. Uh, I, I'm very grateful for you doing that. And I'm very grateful recognizing that this is a group of Jews and Christians that you mentioned that in many cases, it was not just the righteous Gentiles who saved Jews, but many of them were Christian who acted in morality and in humanity and followed their faith, unlike, unfortunately, many many who didn't. And that's a very important message uh, to, to perhaps answer a question that we received um, how do we ensure as Christians that, that this... Just to add one sentence Please. more. These families never took a penny for, for having my brothers in home or others. They never took money. Also, the farm I live with, they never asked for money. They never took money. It was a purely humanity. Uh, to our regret, it was only a very small part of the population. Sure. But, but it still existed, and that's one point of hope. I would say. Thank you for adding that, 
Sharon, normally you're the moderator. Today I got to be the moderator. A, how did I do? And B, what do we what do we need to do to wrap up this this story, this conversation today? First, I think you were brilliant. Well done. <laughs> thank you. And Avram, thank you again. It's um always so inspiring to to listen to you and to to hear what you've been through and to see what you've managed to do with your life and how you inspired so many people after the war. I think uh, that's the beauty of the Corona Salon. You don't need uh, the global director to join on a call to have this gathering. You can definitely do it and take the model and, and make it as your own. And if, uh, if we want to kind of uh, bring this uh, conversation to an end, just before we go, I, I will say that it's not only enough to remember. We want to remember so we can shape and repair our future. And so many things that Avon talked about today, we can take to our lives and we can fight hate on any form. And we can fight racism and we can fight anti-Semitism if only we speak to one another. And I think this is the, the message I would like to leave you with, that uh, first, this is a very simple uh, thing to do, to do as the Caronba Salon. Each and every one of you can do it. But also, don't leave it just at remembrance. Let's take it to the next level and let's uh, shape our future. Beautiful. Thank you. Sharon, thank you for you for or helping me organize this program today um, for everything you do. And Avram, I look forward to uh, having you back to tell this story around the world for, for many years to come in good health. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to close out today by inviting my friend, Pastor Conrado Lumahan, uh, who's in the Philippines. I neglected to mention the Philippines here um, because he's one of, uh, one of the uh, panelists with us. And as we always do in our uh, webinars, our Inspiration from Zion webinars, we like to cr- close with something spiritual and prayer and I'd like to invite Pastor uh, to come on and, and share a few words. Surely pray to the Heavenly Father. We thank you so much, Lord, for this time. Thank you so much for Jonathan. Thank you so much, Lord, for Sharon and even for the testimony of Abraham. Hashem, thank you so much for remembering, Lord, the Holocaust. We learn reasons why we have to commemorate the Holocaust. Reminding us in the book of Deuteronomy, my Lord, that we have to remember and not forget. Remember and not forget. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, during the time of the, of the last supper, the time of Pesach, she took the bread and said, Eat, do this in remembrance of me. He gave them the cup and said, Drink, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering Lord the Holocaust. It really touches our head. It enlightens us of what transpired during the time of the Holocaust. 
six million Jewish people died, of which one million were children. It reminds us, Lord, of the evil of replacement theology, of anti-Semitism, of racism. Thank you so much for remembering the Holocaust, but it, it even touches our heart, encourages us to stand in solidarity with the Jewish people. Remembering the Holocaust, my Lord, even touches our hand, move into action. For it's not enough that we heard. It's not enough that we are encouraged. We have also to do something for the Jewish people, my Lord. We are forever indebted to the Jewish people. Jesus, our Savior, the greatest contribution of the Jewish people to the whole world. And because of these spiritual blessings, we have to do something for the Jewish people. Apostle Paul says, my Lord, for the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual blessings because of the Jewish people. And it is therefore the duty of every Gentile believer to share their spiritual, their, their material blessings, their financial blessings to the Jewish people. I pray, Lord, for the offering that will be collected to help expand the vision and the mission of the Genesis 1, 2, 3. I pray that more Christians will stand in solidarity with the Jewish people for it is impossible to love God and hate the Jewish people. So help us spread the message that we have really to stand with your people. For you forever stand with them because you made your eternal covenant with Abraham and you confirm it to Isaac. And you made it as a law to Israel. So thank you so much, Lord, at this time that we have to give our offering to expand the vision and the mission of Genesis 1, 2, 3. Bless each one of us in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. You're, uh, the Lord bless you. I, I, I neglected to introduce you and tell people what a great leader you are, um, in support of Israel and the Jewish people there. And, and, um, just in your own words, you introduced that and I'm grateful and we are blessed. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. Beginning last year, you know, the Genesis one, two, three foundation is offering a special gift. Each month, we have been giving away a special volume. We call it From Jonathan's Bookshelf. Please go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. When you comment and share the link to this program there, we will select one winner at random. This month, we're giving away a copy of a fabulous book called Discovering the City of David. Please go to the uh, social media right now and share this so you can 
enter your opportunity for winning. We're grateful that this podcast is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area, definitely pop in and say hi and thank them for helping to make programs like this possible. And also thank you to the Coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. A number of listeners asked if we were going to be doing a program in honor of International Holocaust Memorial Day and and said that they would like to be sponsors, everyone anonymously, uh, which is really quite tremendous. So we're grateful that this episode is sponsored by several different people in honor of the survivors, in honor of our guests today, and in memory of the 6 million Jews who were murdered during the Holocaust. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode or in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any comments and questions you have as part of the dialogue and invite you to interact with us, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.